listening to Lead Defend, the podcast designed to help you grow in faith and leadership as you navigate the stages of your young adulthood. We address important faith topics and provide practical life tips, helping you build your faith as you engage in a changing culture. Here are your hosts, Seth Tucker and Ryan Scantling. Hey, Seth, we've got something really exciting today because we are actually filming this live at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention Annual Meeting and Pastors Conference. And so today is the first day of the Pastors Conference, and we have a special guest with us, Dr. Ben Sells. And we just want to kick the conversation off today talking about when you were a child, what, what was your longing? What did you want to do as an adult? For me, I, I wanted to be a firefighter. Like I had dreams of kicking through doors, rescuing folks with the battle axe on my back. Um, but so what, what about you guys? What, what was your dream as a child? Well, when I was a kid, I grew up on like a cul-de-sac. And so the biggest truck that ever came down my street was a garbage truck. And I literally would jump on my tricycle or power wheel and I would follow the trash truck down the street. I wanted to be the cool guy on the back of that truck. And that was my dream probably till I was like seven or eight. For me, the biggest truck was the Swan's truck delivering <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> so, I mean, a Swan's driver would not be so bad. Yeah. Dr. Sells, what was your dream as a kid? Well, I probably had two dreams. One was to be a professional basketball player, but that's a little difficult when you're five six. Yeah, I was about to say, how tall do you stand? I'm not sure about that. On a good day, it's five six. But believe it or not, I actually dreamed about being a Baptist College president because my father was the president of Southwest Baptist University from the time I was seven, and so I grew up wow. in that context right. and Go began to follow him in his job and he took an interest in me and believe it or not, uh, that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. Well, you're the that's first awesome. person I have ever heard say that you dreamed of being a college president and, and here you are. It, it took some years to get there, but uh, here you are, the president of Washita Baptist University. And we're just really thankful that, uh, that, that you're here with us talking through some things today. Well, good, Ryan and Seth, I'm glad to be with you and thank you for hosting me. Absolutely. Well, hey, we wanna jump right in, starting to talk about calling. Um, of course, you said as a young kid, you, you had dreams of possibly being a Baptist college president, but, but how did that play into calling and what was the road to getting there? I think the short story is like a lot of people, I was significantly shaped by my own Christian college mm. experience, especially my senior year, the culmination of those four years. And then I think people watching my father and other people encouraging me, and I've ended up working at three different Christian colleges. This is the third one, but had eight years at the International Mission Board in which I was doing adult learning education for our missionaries. And so it took about 35 years to get to this spot, but all that was preparation. Mm. I think sometimes you can end up in a role too young, and I'm really grateful for all the years I had preparing mm. for the role I have now. Wow. So, Ryan, one day you might be a firefighter. One day I still may make it. There's that longing still in my heart. So I could get there. I could get there. So when did you know, as you were going along the progression through college and then through pursuing your master's and then your, your doctorate, uh, ultimately, when did you know that this is something I want to do? I, I want to lead a, an institution of higher education. Well, that journey had a couple turns I s struggled with. Am I an educator with a missionary's heart mm. or a missionary with an educator's heart? Because at the same time, we felt this significant draw to international missions and why we ended up eight years with the international mission board. But that context really was doing higher education. And so I just think consistently it's been, I like Christian higher education, and I think 
the gifts and the skills and the experiences kept gravitating towards um, help lead others, help develop strategy, help translate that into action. And so that evolved. I don't know that there's one point, but I just kept coming back to that and opportunities kept developing. So Dr. Sells, the, the big question that I have is, is how does your call to Christian higher education um, uh, Tell me about the relationships that come about with that. Like, so your relationships with students, your relationships with faculty, like with all of that, of course, a calling has to do with people. And so like, tell us about those relationships that form and, and maybe kind of how you, uh, how you developed that, that, that role as, as a leader, but also as, as a person that cares for the well-being of these, these people that are under your leadership. When I think I, I like the word vocation as a, the Latin vocare means calling. So I think we're called to the Lord mm. first. I talk with students about that. You're often called to a vocation. For me, it's Christian higher education, but that has different roles. I mean, I could think of so many different people who influenced me, but um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that martyr of the Christian faith, talks about the ministry of listening. And I think one of the undervalued attributes of leadership is listening, listening to the Lord first, but listening to the people you lead. And I think in many ways, while I have to talk a lot in my job, I spend a lot of time listening uh, to people so that you can then shepherd people. One of my favorite leadership verses comes from Psalm 78, 72, which David, it was said, shepherd them with a pure heart and with skillful hands. And I like that image. To me, it speaks to character, what's my heart, but also speaks to skill, my hands. And you have to have both. It's not enough. Yeah. As important as a pure heart and character are, you can have that not necessarily be effective at leading. You can have skills and be effective at leading, but not have the character. So that verse doesn't encapsulate everything, but encapsulates a lot. So Dr. Sells, you've been for many, many years a servant of the church but you've never pastored that I know of anyways. So would you say that in your role, you're called to ministry or have you ever wrestled with that, thought through that? I have. I remember as a high school student, as a college student, feeling this call. I Probably in the early 1980s, we weren't, I wasn't thinking about it as a call to ministry, but I think it's what it was. But I think my understanding of that was too narrow. The only person I knew were the people in my church pastor. Yeah. I didn't necessarily see myself doing that. And even in a call to what became the International Mission Board, or part of my vocation was understanding at that time there were 5,000 people. There were lots of different roles related to that. There, we thought of the church planter, but we didn't think about the people behind the scenes. And so Absolutely. I think part of my own journey has been understanding this call to ministry has many categories of roles. Christian higher education is one of those. And then within Christian higher education, there are lots of different jobs. Mm, that's good. Now, I want to spend some time talking specifically about leadership. What, what are some things you think that as a young adult you did that prepared you for the role that you have now? Or maybe even some missteps that you say, that yeah. definitely didn't prepare me, but I learned from it. One of the things that when I look back, there always were people in my lives who were 10, 20, 30, 40 years ahead of me in which they invested in me, but almost always I took some initiative to do that. It might be volunteering to pick someone up at the airport who was speaking someplace or 
taking the effort to just go meet with someone and whether that was for 10 minutes or for 30 minutes. So I, I would encourage, find people who are ahead of you who are older than you and get to know them. And it may be a one-time event or it may turn into a series of events. I didn't know 30 years ago that one of the most important mentors in my life was a Washtenaw graduate. His name happened to be Tom Elliff. Wow. He was a trustee at Southwest Baptist University. I was leading campus ministries and I would pick him up at the airport. And I just used those 45, it only happened about four times, but he really spoke into my life. Of course, I wouldn't know he'd become the president of the convention, president of the International Mission Board, that he's from Arkansas, that you know that he went to Washtenaw, but that would be a, a role that was um, important um, to me. There's probably was a second part of that question, Ryan, that I didn't get. Yeah, what were some of the, the maybe failings or missteps yeah. that you took Good. as a young adult that you would encourage other people Hey, listen, stay away from these mistakes. <laughs> or when you make a mistake, this is how it can be corrected to help your leadership in the future. There was a chapel message at Washtaw, which I said, I think I've learned more from my setbacks than my successes. Wow. And by setbacks, I don't necessarily mean um, a moral failure. That's not what I mean. But you thought you were doing a good job and maybe you weren't, or you thought an opportunity was going to develop. I mean, I can think of roles that I thought I really wanted. It was the role for me within this context of Christian higher education, and it didn't develop. And at the time, that felt like a significant setback. So I think, but in the sovereignty of God and with the benefit mm. of time, I think, Lord, thank you for protecting me from not having that opportunity. And so setbacks, hopes you have, dreams you have, jobs you may have, and something doesn't quite go right. All of that can be redeemed by the Lord if you'll let it. And actually, I think those are the things I remember more than any successes. Dr. Sells, that's a great word. We actually had an episode recently talking about um, talking about how failure tends to cripple today's young generation, right? When they, when they fail, uh, because it's so publicized sometimes that they feel like, like they've, they, that they can't recover from it. And so, uh, you know, you've said you've learned from your failures. Could you possibly give us one example of that in a way that, that you've had to overcome uh, a setback, like you said, not moral, but, but just in life, like, you know, Hey, Ryan discovered he's not going to be a professional baseball player, you know? <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't take very long. That was a T-ball. Well, there would be, um, gosh, there would be so many um, that I could talk about. I'm trying to think, I'm running through my mind what one that um, particularly comes um, to mind. Uh, well, because the idea, I'll give you some time to think about it. <laughs> the idea is is that, you know, it, we we all, even, even Ryan and I grew up in a time where when we had a, a when we didn't, accomplish something it was not public it, it wasn't we yeah. didn't have the social media presences and things like that but today these kids it's so public and so it's crippling and so we need them to understand that failure is an opportunity to either go a different direction or to find success through trial and error so an example that comes to mind in my previous role I had the benefit of working with a donor during my nine years as the vice president for development he would give 30 million dollars uh, but it didn't necessarily start out very well mm. because he gave this challenge and um, 
we couldn't meet that challenge initially, and it was frustrating. And here was someone who, little did I know, uh, from a professional perspective, it actually didn't start out very well. Mm. He hadn't made all these gifts at this point in time, but he'd given this big challenge. He, he gave this challenge, said, I'll give you $10 million to the university if you'll raise $10 million. Well, it would have been easier if he would have just given the $10 million. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I hadn't raised $10 million before. I didn't know if I could do that. In fact, the university I was working at had never raised more than $5 million. Wow. And it, it was two years of just felt like setback after setback mm-hmm. and not making progress. It was going to be this most important building this campus needed. So every day people walk by this site where we were going to build this building. This campaign's underway. We're not making any progress. I'm the new vice president for development. What's going on here? Yeah. And it's not working. And it felt like setback after setback but part of it was so one of my heroes of the faith would be William Carey the considered the father of the modern mission movement I think 1782 goes from England to India and he says I'm a plotter and I think one of the things I learned is under God's grace you just plod away again one of my another favorite verse for me comes from 1 Corinthians 15:10, in which Paul says something like this I worked harder than everyone but it wasn't me, it was God's grace. So I think when you have setbacks, you just keep plodding away. Work hard, trust the Lord. And I love how you mix those two, work hard, trust the Lord, because oftentimes I think we get in the mindset that I just have to do more work. And it's not that alone. It's, man, God, would you lead? Would you direct? Am I trusting in your path for me? Um, You brought up an interesting example of kind of a leadership issue where you had to make some hard decisions. Now you're in a role where you lead a university, uh, thousands of folks, hundreds of employees. Um, decisions you make impact tons of folks, so tons of people. How do you go about making hard decisions that have impact on a lot of people, people that you don't even recognize at the time sometimes? So I'm 57. I think one of the reflections is as you have increasing responsibility your decisions are more consequential they Mm. do affect more um, uh, people and I would come back to what I said earlier spending a lot of time listening there are some decisions in which you've been at this work so long uh, you have a lot to draw upon the experiences to draw upon that help you Uh, but so often I would say the hardest decisions um, you're praying about it you know, you're in the Word daily to say, Lord, speak to me. Um, I find I, I walk early in the morning. I have to drive a lot, so I'm thinking about it. But it's also part of my style is listening to, to people, depending on what the decision is, that help me think about this. Think about this from another perspective. Push back. What am I not thinking about? Because often it's not just the decision you have to make. It's how are you going to implement that decision? How are you going to communicate that decision so it comes back a lot to actually listening mm-hmm. for me anyway that's good I, as I talk to people about you um, you have to know that in the role of a leader people talk about you um, a lot no. um, you didn't tell so, me you didn't tell me this question was coming <laughs> well as I talk to people about you they describe you a couple of ways they, they say you're a distinctly Christian leader uh, and that you lead from a spiritual viewpoint as much as anything and in our world not everyone leads like that. So what are the things that you build into your life that enable you to lead spiritually but also organizationally? How, how do you mix those two? Well, I do believe that 
Christian higher education is part of the larger Great Commission. There are a lot of universities, 4,700 in this country. There's only about 200 Christ-centered universities, so there aren't wow. that many. So I think you have to be very purposeful in the work that you do. I think I can't separate, and it really was my, one of my college professors who taught me to have a devotional time that I've been doing ever since college, and so it is regularly staying in the Word for me that happens early in the morning. I think it's um, trying to talk and think about our job because it is a, it's a college, it's got a budget, it's got, you know, we deal with all kinds of variables that are similar to non-Christian colleges. Uh, but this is a kingdom task we're doing. I think we have to keep reframing this as not just higher education. It is that, mm. but it's Christian higher education in that there is this larger purpose. So I said to students in the first chapel this year, our theme is intellectual and spiritual growth. We want to go after both. Ultimately, what we want to do through Washtaw is help you become the person God intended you to be. There's no one like you. There never will be. And so our role during these four years is help you to become that person God intended you to be. And I think that's a uniquely task of Christian higher education. That's good. Could you maybe, uh, upon that, talk about maybe the the whole uh, the whole life atmosphere of Christian higher education? So you're you're already talking about uh, about some of that, but just kind of how an on campus uh, you know living situation can lead towards it, and, and all of the all of the spectrum, not just classroom. So we want to pursue intellectual growth, which is true at all universities, but we also want to pursue spiritual growth so we want to do both we think that happens by what we believe core convictions we think that happens by who we hire faculty staff and coaches who give evidence of an active christian faith we think that happens by certain courses you take certain experiences like uh, chapel we think it happens by living and learning together so 95 percent of our students live on campus and there's something about when you live together in very few colleges, probably fewer than 100, have 95% who live on campus, that becomes kind of a greenhouse, if you will, a or a leadership laboratory, to use another metaphor, to fully develop the whole person. So we want to love the Lord, right, with our heart, with our soul, with our strength, and with our mind. Hmm. And we want to try to pursue all those. You've been at Washington how many years now? Starting my fourth year, or I like to say I'm starting my senior year. Oh, okay. Uh, and it is exciting to see a class go all the way through. It is. Um, so you've been there four years. Talk to us about how you developed a vision for Washita, leading Washita in the future, and then how you cast and implement a vision once you've developed that. So I came to a university with a 130-year history and tradition, tightly linked, founded by, supported by Arkansas Baptist, and I was the first non-alumnus in 60 years to be president. And so I began by asking two questions. What shouldn't change about Washita and what should change? And I think that's a good leadership question to always be asking. Yeah. What shouldn't change? Some things shouldn't change, but other things should. And again, I'll go back to this listening theme, faculty, staff, students, alumni, Arkansas Baptist, and all that coalesced around six direct strategic directions. And I won't take the time to name those. But we, it, uh, the first one begins to sustain our Christ-centered identity and strengthen key partnerships are the first and the last one. Yeah. And I would say we keep those six directions in front of us. We have 24 goals. Every year we have about 25 institutional priorities. And so while we want to be certainly open to the moment about what the Lord may be doing, 
we're very focused institution. So helping develop that, listening to that, articulating that, championing those, keep coming back and reporting on those, keep reframing our conversations. As far as we know, we're especially supposed to be about these six things. So young people with dreams and visions, right? Because we all have them. We should stay focused on on our goals or priorities or whatever it is that drives us, right? That's what you're saying. Your six, your six, what was the wording? Six strategic directions. Strategic directions. They drive everything that you do. And, and certainly for an organization, you know, for an individual, it, it, it feels maybe a little bit different. Okay. But ultimately, okay. we're all a part of an organization. Mm-hmm. And in my role, I think, I think leadership is influence. So those who are listening, whether you're 17 or 77, leadership is about influence. We all can exert leadership. We can all can grow in developing our leadership. And sometimes that leadership translates into specific roles. Sometimes for a season, I don't know how long, it's the role of president. And so you then are responsible for stewarding that under God for that time and doing as well as you can. And that is listening, saying, let's go in this direction, then marshal people and resources to move in that direction. Well, you have a lot to be proud of at Washita Baptist University. Incredible athletics programs, uh, seeing a lot of success. Um, uh, University is growing now for three years in a row. We're yes. excited about that. One of the only schools in the state uh, that's growing at those levels. Um, but in addition to that, man, developing incredible leaders. As we kind of wrap things up, do you have one final word that you want to give to young leaders? Uh, anything that you're like, if, if I sat through 22 minutes and didn't get this in, we would be amiss. I think the most significant leadership-related verse in the Bible comes from the story in the Gospels in which Jesus' disciples are debating who's the greatest. And Jesus comes along and says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And I think for a young person who may have visions of leadership, remember leadership is is influence, not roles. Roles will change. You can have influence right now. And that influence probably will more likely come from saying, not who can serve me, but where can I serve? And just jump in and start doing that, volunteering for that, looking for ways to serve, learn from others, stay close to the Lord, get godly counsel. And over time, roles will develop for you, some that you might be dreaming about as a young person and others that you could never have anticipated. You can look back with God's grace and say, Lord, thank you. That was your plans, not mine. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Sells, for coming on with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate your wisdom and are just excited to get this out to folks so that they can hear and learn from it. Uh, Listening is a key to leadership. That's the one big takeaway I have. Uh, If you're listening, whether you're listening through the podcast or you're in our audience, we want to invite you specifically to Leap Defend, uh, the conference happening on February 29th. It's Leap Day 2020, and so we want you to be there. Uh, You can go to leapdefend.org to find information on that. But thank you so much, Dr. Ben Sells, President of Washita Baptist, for being with us. Thank you, Seth and Ryan. privilege to be here. Absolutely. Join us next time. That's it for this episode of Lead Defend. Until next time, check out our website at leaddefend.org for details on the next Lead Defend conference or shoot Seth and Ryan an email at leaddefend at absc.org. If you want to help us out, rate and review Lead Defend on your podcast app and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Now go lead. A podcast from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention.